0: uh psalm 59 uh the heading is to the chief musician set to do not destroy a mitchtum of david when saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him so interesting you know we're going through the psalms and uh i'm thinking that we'll go through this book of psalms which goes through chapter 72 and uh that uh you know though it is a lot of poetry and you know it's kind of like we're going through the worship hymnal of the temple uh there's a lot of history too we're covering a lot of the the stories of israel and david and and the the trials and the battles and the defeats and the victories and all of those things and seeing god's faithful hand in all of it and uh, his uh, ability to deliver and uh and so tonight is no different got a little heading there telling us what uh when the psalm was written and uh if you want to flip over to 1st Samuel 19 verse 9 we get um kind of the story here and i think i may have it on the screen if you don't want to flip but it says now the distressing spirit from the lord came upon saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand and david was playing music <clears throat> With his hand. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with his clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, "Let me go. Why should I kill you?" So, uh, if you've never read the Samuels, um, then uh, you're missing out on some great drama. That is for sure. But you know, we've got Ferris Bueller's Day Off happening all over. Oh, maybe the first Ferris Bueller's Day Off happening with David. David Bueller's Day Off, really. Um, and you know, hiding the you know the classic uh, playing hooky really is what David was doing. As the image the uh, was in the bed with the hair and uh, so talk about a trial though talk about you know escaping for your life and such seems the lot of the people of the Lord Uh, Samson had a similar experience quite a few similar ones but in Judges 16 uh, we see that he is uh, pursued and try uh, you know they try to trap him the Philistines and he ends up taking the bars of the gates of the Philistine city and just removing the whole gate, bar, bars and gates and all, and running up uh, over the hillside with that as they try to trap him. Uh, a newly converted Paul was in Damascus as an evangelist and uh, people began to hear of his testimony of Jesus appearing to him on the road and uh, and so they sought to kill him and as he uh, tried to escape they had to let him down out of the wall of Damascus in a basket. And so just similar heroic escape plans to be delivered from uh, persecution from our enemies. And so uh, no doubt many of us will uh, find ourselves in these situations at some point in our life as we live the life of the righteous, uh, the enemy would seek to destroy us and we would just need to trust the Lord for deliverance. And it's interesting in David's life, as you look at David's life, how many different people the Lord uses to come through for him. You know, it's just, it's, it's, uh, whether it's, you know, the priest who David ran to, and the priest, uh, as David fled from Saul, and the priest gave um, David the showbread to eat, and then as he says, you know, do you have a sword? And he says, the only sword we've got here in this tabernacle is Uh, the sword of Goliath whom you killed and he's like that'll do you know I don't know there's no other sword like it you know and he takes it and and uh, all throughout David's life there are people like this along the road that God provides and uses uh, to deliver and so not only are there times in our lives when we live the life of David but there's times in our life where we we, we're the person Michael you know who's helping Uh, we're the person um, uh, that would stand with our brother were the jonathans you know who would shoot the arrow on that side of the rock to help our friends um you know continue on in the righteous life and so we just need sensitivity to the spirit as we walk um you know this christian life as to lord who would you have me call who would you have me encourage who would you have me fight for and defend uh in this season of life but uh you know whether it's samson or david or saul uh or uh then uh, we see this happening in their lives. And so this is the psalm that's written in this time frame. So it's just interesting to get almost the diary of David as he's going through this trial. Verse 1 says, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. And so we have the redemption in this of deliver and defend things that only God is able to do, but we also have our, our indicators that there was a fall, and there is a fallen world, and there is sin, and there is struggle, that there are enemies in our life. There are those who rise up against me, and so no doubt every one of you have this in different ways, and we need the deliverer, and we need the defender, uh, to deliver means, Lord, pull me up out of this and secure me. But the language means just in the nick of time. You know, nothing brings, you know, the drama to the action movie uh, than those split second nick of time, you know, delivery, deliverances, uh, you know, the helicopter rope coming down and, you know, as you're out of there, and you know, but if it's just, you know, delivered and there wasn't really any danger, then what's the big deal, right? You know, the Lord likes to make much of himself by getting us out of these hairy situations. Deliver me just in time to bring much praise to your name. Uh, As Zechariah prays out in Luke 1, as he worships about uh, his son coming to him, John the Baptist, he prays that people would serve the Lord without fear. Uh, because of these deliverances all the days of their lives. Paul would write in his final letter that he was delivered out of the mouth of Caesar Nero. He was delivered in that same, just in the nick of time, when it looked like Nero was going to kill Paul for the testimony of Jesus. It says, he, the Lord delivered me, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work, and, and he will uh, preserve me. For his heavenly kingdom. So the Lord likes to do that for his people. In in great ways. Um, He defends his people. And the word defend means to set me on high. In an inaccessible and unattainable place. From those who would exalt themselves against me. And rise up against me. Again in verse 2. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. And save me from bloodthirsty men. And so, so far in verses 1 and 2, we have deliver, defend, deliver, and save. These wonderful rescuing acts of our God. Deliver, defend, deliver, and save from these workers of iniquity and bloodthirsty men. You know, the workers of iniquity, it's, it's a deep, Language here that speaks of people that commit and plot some sort of calamity and deception against you and it's those who speak peace to mask evil and uh you know psalm 55 came to mind and um <clears throat> you know, there was a time when um we had to make a decision as an elder team and it was during the prayer and fasting uh, in the spring when we pray and fast for a week as a church and and uh, you know there was it was a decision that needed to be made and some of the elders were leaning this way and some of the elders were leaning this way and, uh, and I just felt so uneasy about this decision and uh, I felt that I was in Psalms in this fast and the Lord brought me to um, Psalm 55 and that it was a word that we were to not move forward with this decision and psalm 55 speaks about someone who has words that are smooth like oil or smooth like butter It's maybe how we would put it in our day and age but inwardly he speaks lies and deceits and that that was behind what was going on in this decision and then as we decided you know we're not going to move forward with this individual um, that the backlash and the Um, outrage against us was just incredible, And, and that just kept continuing on for the rest of our relationship. And so, you know, that the Lord would give you all discernment in the things in your life where, you know, there's involvement, there's decisions that need to be made, and this guy might be so suave and debonair and, you know, just have the right things to say, but, you know, that oily speech will be shown to be Uh, that there's actually wickedness behind that language and interesting thing about the psalm that I knew it was for us was that it talks about evening or morning and at noon and at night I cry out to you and that was a week of gathering at morning and at noon and at night and praying over these things and so um, psalm 55 just reminds me of that those who would speak peace to mask evil and so uh David also says and save me and rescue me bring victory to me from the bloodthirsty or blood guilty men violent men uh the psalm 55 says uh it's the the actual psalm that I'd had on my heart bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half of their days and the, you know isn't it interesting we don't see it that much but there are those men out there <laughs> you know Maybe even in Prineville, I'm sure maybe Dan with his line of work, you know, and and, uh, going around and rescuing people, uh, that, you know, he maybe sees like, man, that that was just wicked or evil, you know, literal bloodthirsty or murderous, violent men out there. Uh, But we don't need to be afraid, as Psalm 55 says, I will trust you. Verse 3, for look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression, nor... For my sin, O Lord. So these bloodthirsty men, these violent men, are lying in ambush. Is what the language means. They are, you know. You watch many war movies or westerns. You know, and you know ambushes are just incredibly tactical ways to win a, a fight and to win a war. And all throughout the scripture, all throughout military history. You know, you'd think that everyone would always know the ambush is coming, but nobody ever knows that the ambush is coming. It's always when you least expect it. And these violent men, they, they flank and they trap and they jump to, you know, basically get, get my neck and to take my life. And uh, as much as I read kind of the, the stories of men in battle uh, and they write about when they are ambushed, they just write about what a terrifying thing it is. you know usually it's in the middle of the night as they're on patrol and uh and they're jumped you know in a jungle or somewhere like that, and you don't know where the enemy is and uh and it's it's a terrifying thing and Here David writes about this ambush that these men are trying to set for him. It reminded me of psalm ten uh verses nine and ten, and maybe you remember many 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 weeks ago. This was before uh, even Second Corinthians, I think. Galatians and Second Corinthians, Psalm 10, when uh, it says, "He lies in wait secretly, as a lion in his den; he lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor, and when he draws them into his net, so he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength." And as we uh, studied Psalm 10. We were reminded as uh, we, I think we were even that evening praying over Nepal and praying over the, just the wicked men that are involved in the sex trafficking industry who go up into these villages that are just in extreme poverty and hopelessness and brokenness. And these men go up with wicked intentions to extort and to steal and to kidnap these little kids uh, to be sold into the sex trafficking industry. all around the world but even in Kathmandu and down into India and um you know this uh Psalm 10 uh that these men are like those that they lie secretly like a lion they wait to catch the poor and then to just pounce on them and draw them into uh the net and the Psalms all throughout the Psalms that the authors will speak of the wicked men laying snares for me and hiding and marking out my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Speaking of that ambush. um, Micah speaks of men lying in wait for blood and every man hunting his brother with a net. That's what David was going through as he wrote this. He had men that he considered brothers and fathers. In fact, it was his father-in-law who was hunting him down Uh, trying to get his blood and to have his head really and uh, and so he writes of this but you know Paul experienced this again Paul experienced this later on in his uh, ministry when he was there in Jerusalem in prison that there were a group of Jews 40 of them who wanted to lie in wait for Paul and they bound themselves with an oath that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed um Paul now remember how I said there's always someone that the Lord has there to be a part of his rescue plan and you remember with Paul who was it that was part of the rescue plan it was his nephew it was a little boy it was his nephew who happened to overhear the plot and so he came told a Roman soldier and the Roman soldier came and set it up to uh, get Paul out of dodge so that he could be, um, so that his life could be spared. So maybe you'll be the, the one that overhears something, that's able to be a part of God's sovereign plan of rescuing uh, his servants. Of course, Jesus experienced this too. Men, mighty men, who set themselves up against them. As Psalm 2 prophesies of Jesus in 2-2, the kings of the earth set themselves, and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed or his messiah and in acts 4 when peter's preaching he said the kings of the earth took their stand and rulers were gathered together against the lord and against his christ for truly against your holy servant jesus whom you anointed rather this isn't this is the prayer of the early church both herod and pontius pilate with the gentiles and the people of israel were gathered together and so these mighty men uh, gather against david gather against and wait for his life these are strong men men who had uh the the intent to treat david hostily and to attack him there was a conspiracy involved i mean it doesn't get much more of a conspiracy than what david was going through until you look at the son of david and all the conspiracies that were going on against him And, uh, you know, just writing in my notes, I think of many times in our church history where mighty men have gathered against our church and against our leadership. Men of renown, men who I remember meeting with friends and going, man, I've got this meeting and it's terrifying. And this is a guy that's just popular and, you know, it's over. And, uh, And just the Lord just said, man, you cannot be afraid of men. You know, you've got to continue on in truth. And these are the times that we've got to learn to run into the fortress of God. Amen. David knew that these mighty men were gathering against him. And he says, it's not because of transgression for my sin. I didn't have any crime. There wasn't any rebellion in me. But that's always a good thing to examine as we're going through these trials. Lord, is there any wicked way in me that's causing this to happen? As in Psalm 7, 3, O Lord, my God, if i have done this if there's iniquity in my hands if i've repaid evil to him who was at peace with me or if i've plundered my enemy without a cause let the enemy pursue me and overtake me yes let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust you know as we are going through these uh remember last week just uh praying out with you guys like lord i think i'm righteous here but i may not be righteous that is a good prayer to have of course we always think we're the right ones and the righteous ones don't we Uh, And so we need to ask the Lord to check us. Lord, if there's anything that I've done to bring this about, then Lord, uh, let me lose. And let me um, be humbled in this so that I can repent. Um, You guys remember when Johnny spoke a couple weeks ago, he talked about uh, the two times when David had opportunity to kill Saul. Uh, Once was in a cave when Saul was relieving himself. And once was out on on a flat where Saul was sleeping and he had a spear and a water jug next to his head. And both times, David crept up, either snipped off the robe during the potty break or uh, stole the, the spear and the water pitcher next to his head. And both times, David would wake Saul up or catch him and say, why are you after me? I could have killed you right now, but I didn't. What wrong have I done? In fact, the story that we read that prefaced this psalm, that was the story of, um, you know, Michael putting the fake David in the bed and then run you know, all that good stuff. Uh, the first nine verses before what we read, the story is that David knew that Saul was out to kill him. Jonathan knew that his dad Saul was out to kill him. And so Jonathan said, hey, let me go talk to my dad, see if I can simmer things down and, uh, and we'll see if we can work this out. So Jonathan goes to Saul and says, hey, quit being a jerk to David. He's only done good for you. The only thing that he's done is he obeyed the Lord and trusted in the Lord, and the Lord delivered the Philistine into his hand, and even you rejoiced in this. He has done no evil. And so Saul says, you're right. He hasn't done anything wrong. He will live. Then the flip side of the coin was that while he's there playing, you know, okay, so I'll come in and play for you. And then uh, there's a, a threat on his life, the pinning to the wall. And this should always remind us of, you know what? There's really not one that's ever totally innocent. Except for one. You know, in the grand story of things, who is the innocent just one? It's John fifteen twenty five says that the word of God was fulfilled. It's written in the law, that they hated me without a cause, Jesus says. He's the one that was hated without a cause. He is the innocent and the just one, Peter would preach. Don Williams, in his commentary, says David's claim to innocence in the Psalms is fulfilled in the innocent one jesus oh lord david cries out or yahweh verse 4 they run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine again I, I'm, I'm innocent in this matter so awake to help me and behold these men are darting about chasing and hurrying trying to get him and you can imagine you know uh somehow david is in a place where he's kind of watching what's going on And he sees, you know, whether it's, you know, Michael's window or whatnot, and the guys come in and they're like, where's David? Oh, he's sleeping and he's sick. Okay. And they leave and then all of a sudden they come back in again and they thrash open the door and they're looking around and they're flipping things over and then there's, oh, you know, this uh, severed horse head or whatever in the bed or, (laughs) you know, Godfather, whatever it was, uh, an image or, probably wasn't an idol, but maybe it wasn't, and some red hair on it and David's head falls on the ground, ah, you know, and David's over there, you know. Uh, watching all of this and listening to all of this and he's like they're running around like he watches them leave and he watches them and he he, he knows they're over there talking to Saul and then they run back and he's like they're running about like a chicken with their head cut off trying to prepare themselves against me they're darting about just as Romans speaks of the sinfulness of men that their feet are swift to shed blood they are just these guys are henchmen for uh, Saul and they're just they got no problem going back and forth and just being his henchmen to kill me even though I've done nothing wrong and so Lord Wake up to help me. Be stirred and agitated to help me out here. Uh, you know, maybe the Lord just seems blind to your situation. Like, Lord, are you seriously not even seeing any of this that's going on? Like, are you snoozing right now? I know you're not snoozing. I know you don't do that. Lord, it seems like you are. Wake up. or Arouse yourself to come and, and plead my case and to help me. Behold, Lord, understand and, and examine and inspect, is what the language means. What is going on? Do your detective work, God, and act justly in my behalf. Verse 5 You therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Salah. Yahweh this the word is used here in an incredible way the name of God you Yahweh the Lord God of hosts you're the God of military men and troops and so muster them for battle on my behalf you are the God of Israel who has seen us through so much we can go back to Father Abraham's days we can go through jacob's days we can go through joseph's days we can go through the exodus account we can see you in the red sea and the provision of manna and the defeat defeating our enemies and lord you are the god of israel and uh the god of the armies of heaven wake up again is this phrase wake up to punish the nations and the language for punish here it can mean to inspect and to look and to avenge the gentiles every translation says punish the nations here But the definition of the word punish is rouse yourself to visit them. Interesting. Awaken yourself to visit the nations. And we would pray that now as we're in the day of grace. Amen. We would pray that over Nepal tonight. We would pray that over Ethiopia. We would pray that over Senegal. We would pray that over Vietnam and Laos. And we pray, awaken yourselves and stir up the nations. And they will be punished for their wickedness, no doubt, one day. But Lord, today in the church age lord we pray that you would rouse yourself to visit them and show yourself to them don't be merciful to any wicked transgressors men that aren't unrepentant men that refuse to to turn to you in repentance don't show compassion on them you know pour out judgment on them as james tells us judgment is without mercy to the one who's shown no mercy but then he also says but mercy triumphs over judgment. There, there need, there's a need for judgment. We have a just God. We also have a merciful God. Oh Lord, let your mercy triumph over judgment. And then there's that pause there. Those are good things to pause and wait over. That the Lord would awaken himself in justice to work justice against those that are just running around, swift to shed blood, violent men, sex traffickers, uh, just wicked nations, and Lord awaken to our cause on an individual level and the global cause as well Uh, it's kind of interesting and and uh, the outlines that i kept running into in my studying was in these 17 verses we have a cry for deliverance then the crisis told to us then a cry for judgment then a refrain from the crisis a confession of faith then bring more judgment god and then a refrain from the crisis then the crisis repeated, and then finally a prayer of worship I mean in this prayer it just seems to kind of be hopping back and forth uh between uh you know oh they're back again and <laughs> and oh Lord and oh Lord and oh Lord oh you're so good and, oh here they are there again <laughs> and, uh have you ever been there no okay. but uh it says verse six here here's the uh the enemies are back at evening they return and so Apparently, he's got his night vision goggles on now as he's looking over at um, Michael's house. You know. uh, at evening, they return and they growl like a dog and go all around the city. And so it's sunset, it's dusk, and there's this running about, these feet that are just scampering about to try to kill him. They're trying to find him. No doubt Saul is screaming in the background saying, find him, I want his head. And you've got these gaunt, loathsome dogs that are like trash hunters just growling and scowling the uh the village or the the city at that time Spurgeon called them the monarch Saul's bloodhounds you know that are just out searching for him uh later on uh, we see that when they can't find him that they're howling uh in their dogginess and uh they go all about the city and you know as you as you listen to the stories of. um, Anne Frank, for instance, you know, Anne Frank, who's hiding in the Netherlands from the Nazis, and she's hiding, and she's able to look out that one little window, and she just is able to see that they're everywhere. Like, even if we we're able to kind of get out and maybe make an escape, like, where are we going to go? They're everywhere, and there's just despair, and David, as he's looking out, he's like, they're all around the city looking for me. Verse 7, you'll like this, Mark, indeed, they belch with their mouths. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know. Seem to remember seem to remember how the dollbot treated you in Nepal, but uh, indeed they they belch with their mouths. He, he knows that I love them. If we could get that looked at, that'd be great. But swords are on their lips, for they say, Who hears? So uh, you know, they belch with their mouths. Just interesting language there. It speaks of gushing out words we're in that season with our children where you know it's just so great at the dinner table to just let out a little you know and precious little laney girl just you know looking over at me so proud and i'm like have you been hanging out with the mckinnons again and uh oh oh right yes that's true (laughs) it's the kids fault right dan and uh you know so we have this uh and by the way we correct them every time just so you know we don't let that go on See, see, Grandma Barb just shaking her head. Oh, this generation. Um, But uh, just their mouths are allowed to just utter and gush words, right? Uh, As the Proverbs say, the mouth of the fools pours forth foolishness. And what kind of words were they? He says swords were on their lips. And it's interesting that we can be those who are the barnabases who are known as the sons of encouragement in the book of acts or we can be those who speak like the piercing of the sword and the proverbs say there's one who speaks like the piercings of a sword but the tongue of the wise promotes health and they say who hears anyway uh many times in the scriptures you know you see the pagans and the the godless saying God doesn't hear. He doesn't know. Like, where is he anyways? I don't see him here. Strike me dead. Strike me dead. Strike me dead. I dare you. You know, and uh, it's like, hey, don't try to exhaust the patience of the Lord in one hour because it's not going to happen. But verse eight says, you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. Does the Lord have a sense of humor? Yes, he does. But it's not necessarily because a Jew and a, and a priest and a Muslim walked into a bar or something like that. It's, uh, he laughs in a different way. He laughs in judgment uh he holds the nation in derision the nations will be his entertainment and his amusement and become a place of mockery for him because as we read earlier in psalm 2 they are thinking that they can stand up and exalt themselves against the lord and against the christ and that's when the lord laughs like you think you can stand against me they plot a vain thing psalm 2 1 says And later on, uh, it says in that same Psalm 2.4, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. And in Psalm 2.6, it says, Yet I've set my king on the holy hill of Zion. Speaking of Jesus, I will declare the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Incredible um, prophecy of Jesus being the son of God. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So Jesus's Zionistic reign will include the nations worshiping him. And then Psalm 212 has this incredible addition to it. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. And so just this incredible messianic psalm of the nations and the kings and the rulers exalting themselves against the Lord and trying to remove him. And the Lord just laughs thinking, you even can kill him on a cross and you haven't beat me. That was all part of my plan. And uh, he holds them in derision. They're, they're mocked in thinking they can beat God. Verse 9, and so I will wait for you. I will wait for you owe you his strength for god is my defense i will wait for you i will keep watch for you you're the fortification the refuge and the protection i don't know if anyone else is a new king james version tonight and they noticed this um i will wait for you owe you his strength kind of interesting wording isn't it i just kind of like tried to figure it out and wasn't getting anywhere with my tools and resources and Reading Don Williams says, the New King James Version reads, O you his strength, which is awkward, but follows the Masoretic text. And here's what ESV reads My strength, I will watch for you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress. Or the New American Standard, because of his strength, I will watch for you, for God is my stronghold. Again, he is our stronghold, our defense. Our refuge. I know that I've said this before, even in the Psalms, but I can't read of this fortress and not think of my grandpa. You know, back in World War II, and he was in a B seventeen. And when the B seventeens first came out, I'm just fascinated by these planes. It's one of those weird things that I trip into, like this. You know, like you gotta like snap your fingers in front of me. I'm just like the technology of the '40s and and what this plane was for back then. It's just incredible, and that my gramps was. Up in the nose of it, you know, and leading squadrons into battle—just incredible for me. But this this plane, this giant plane, had ten men in it, and all throughout the plane there were different machine gun positions. And so Gramps was up in the front, and they used to have just a machine gun right in the just in the front of out the glass nose, like like okay, I got a piece of glass between me and an enemy fighter. And then they moved to this like. robotic machine gun in the front that had like an xbox controller looking thing and grandpa used to tell me about yeah i had this thing and i just like go like this and the gun would just fire at the enemy as they were flying but all throughout the the plane there were 10 guys and they just you know all these from any angle the roof there's a ball on the bottom that just you know it's, it's star wars stuff anyways when the plane first came out in the early 30s uh it's from boeing in seattle Uh, and the newspaper came to report on this just technological achievement and the writer said this this plane is a fortress I mean if you had to be in the air and have you know Japanese zeros or German Luftwaffe coming after you like you want to be in this you want 250 cows on your side and a whole bunch of armor around you and this thing would take beatings uh, it'd be severed in half and have like a little flap of skin holding it together on the tail and they'd come in for a landing there's pictures and kenny box posted it once for me of just the whole front end of this thing getting chopped off and the pilots like feet are hanging out the front and they're like bring it in for a la-. anyways there's a reason i'm so pumped up about it is because it's a flying fortress and it brought men home alive lots of guys died one in ten um survived is what the numbers are even my grandpa's ball turret gunner was shot and killed him. but uh you know men came back though uh in, a, in incredible numbers they came back in the same way the lord is our flying fortress you know like man if you got to be going somewhere you want to be going with him you know and the enemy will come at you in waves and in torrents and grandpa used to say man when those german fighters would come at you it was like a pack of wolves just coming around you and coming around you and aiming for you and they knew we were the lead plane and they'd come you know and uh and it, if we have to have the enemy coming at us let's be in our god our strength our defense our deliverer in fact defense means our high point our refuge our fortress i promise i'll leave the b17 stories out for like another three weeks okay but uh okay we all know that's not gonna happen Verse 10, my God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. I love this because it's how he closes the psalm out. My God of mercy. He makes it personal. It's like when Paul calls the gospel, my gospel. That's what David's doing here. My gospel, my God of mercy, my God of covenantal, loyal love will come to meet me. And did that God of covenantal, loyal God come to meet us? He did. His name's Jesus. And he lets us see our desire on his enemies. David would survive this trial. And he would get word in 2 Samuel 1 that Jonathan, his beloved friend, and Saul, his father-in-law, would be killed on Mount Gilboa. And he would be able to weep and tear his clothes and cry out in sorrow and sadness. He would rather die than to have them die. I mean, that is incredible. But he saw... His enemies lose when they would pursue him. Verse 11, do not slay them lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. Like, don't kill them. That would be too easy and just be over. Lord, do something that would, you know, cause them to wander and almost be homeless and walk around in shame because uh, because people need to remember what you've done here. And so don't just kill them and let them become a byword. Let's watch and continually remember what you've done here. Scatter them by your power and faculty and strength and bring them down and cause them to fall down like rotten fruit off of trees, hitting the ground. O Lord, our shield, which is in Hebrew, Adonai Magen, which means the Lord, my defense ornament. He's our defense, he's our shield. Verse 12, for the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them be taken in their pride. Let them even be taken in their pride and for the cursing and lying which they speak. And so sins of their mouth, Lord, let them be caught and overthrown by their presumptuous pride. Verse 13, consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. Just with emphasis, consume them, stop them, bring them to an end with your venomous, poisonous, heatful wrath. And let it be known that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. All of this is so that God would be praised and worshipped to the ends of the earth and and it says that the God that God rules in Jacob and uh, William says god 's people theologically are spoken of as Jacob rather than politically. so let the people uh, let the God who rules over his people rule to the end of the earth, that all the nations would know that he is sovereign verse fourteen and at evening they return. They growl like a dog and go all around the city. Have we heard that before? It's an exact verse from verse 6. He says it again. Oh, no. You know, he's sitting there thinking and pondering all this. Got his little binoculars out, still seeing what's going on over at Michael's house. And, you know, they're howling and they're running around and they're still looking for him, you know. And, and they can't find him. And I like what Spurgeon said. He just says, to your kennel, dog. And I had to say that to Bruiser and Dudley right before I came over here. Get in there. Kennel up. And that's what we say to our enemies as they wander up and down for food and looking to destroy us. Some of you know what this is actually like in real life. And I don't. Closest I have is in seventh grade soccer. We're family, right? We can share things here. Doesn't leave that door. Seventh grade soccer, the coach doesn't show up. So what do all the eighth graders say? Hey, let's give the seventh graders wedgies. Well, I was a pure little kid and nobody touches my underwear or I go to hell. We all know that. And so I I run around for a while and then I run down the street and I never come back. I ran down to the Parks and Rec's building and called my mommy and had her come get me. And I'll never forget like hiding behind a tree and they're like, where'd he go? You know, and I'm over there like. Not on these Hanes, I don't think so. So I call my mom, I leave my soccer ball and my water jug at practice, and uh, mom comes and gets me from the Parks and Recs building, and then on Thursday I got to show up at practice and I'm kind of like, and they're like, where'd you go the other day, Rory? I was like, oh, I, I went home, we didn't have practice. They're like, man, you just took off, we didn't know what happened. I was like, yeah, and I'm still pure. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think, like, when did I ever have anybody do it? Like, that's all I got. Some of you have much, much worse. Not much worse, but a little bit worse. And we're able to say, to your kennel, dog. Verse, no. Okay. There was a stretch there. Verse 16. But I will sing of your power. Yes, and I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you've been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. So all of this seeing the Lord go from Lord be my defense and refuge to you have been my defense and my refuge it calls for songs of loudest praise. I will sing of your power that you were my the word power there means that you were my refuge and fortress and I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. Some of you think you're not singers and I'll be honest with you you're not. But the language here of singing aloud <laughs> means to sing shrilly, shrilly, shrilly. It's just let it out. Let it out. When you know that you have had him as your rock and your defense and your fortress, woo! we got to belt it out. We got to sing shrilly because he's been our defense and refuge in the day of trouble. Verse 17, the last verse, the pain is almost over to you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. He's our refuge, he's our protection, he's worthy of songs on an instrument, is what that speaks of, as he's our high point and our refuge. And how wonderful to have it closed is he's our God of